Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. And Willow Walsh, and you're listening to... Welcome. Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this season. They're located downtown and online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. So today we're playing a story from the Welcome Project titled, I Get Food from the Food Bank. And then instead of playing another Welcome Project story, today we're actually going to play um, a TikTok that was published on June 29th in 2022 by Jack Corbett for NPR at Planet Money. And that's titled, There Are So Many Houses and That Is Someone's Fault. <laughs> hashtag gentrification, hashtag rent, hashtag housing, hashtag economics, hashtag learn on TikTok. Wow, we're like coming <laughs> into the real contemporary age of media way beyond radio all the way to tiktok <laughs> melding and marrying the two forms <laughs> i so appreciate that just for our listeners when uh willow texted to say she was interested in this i'm like i don't know can you get that tiktok into an mp3 format and Wait, uh, Willow was like, no problem. <laughs> so it took it took all of, I don't know, like five minutes for you to figure out and do it. So that's awesome. This is why intergenerational work is like so important. <laughs> we also wanted to do a shout out before we jump in today, um, because our co-host Reagan Skaggs is currently at Starbucks on mm-hmm. LaPorte, where Reagan has been working with her other co-workers to organize a union and um, this is a big day for them they're having a sip in um, and it goes till 2 p.m so as you're listening to this in your car you know just drive on over and order a small coffee tip the workers and hang out with the the unionizers and let them know that you support their efforts i think we ran into somebody else while we were there this mm-hmm. morning who did we see will uh, i believe that would be uh mayoral candidate hannah trueblood who is also there supporting the unionization efforts so that was pretty cool to see yeah so you know may primaries feels maybe it's still a little ways away with the weather and all of that, but it's not that far away. That's true. So it's time to think about candidates to support, and Hannah Trueblood is a good one to look at for a young up-and-coming mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be really exciting for our city. So, yeah, did you want to say anything more about the pairing of these stories, or should we just let that kind of evolve as we... Yeah, yeah. So in terms of, like, why I chose to pair them, I mean, it's essentially, I mean one of the hashtags for at planet money's tiktok was um gentrification so that's sort of top of mind as i paired these stories you know not only like what is the the negative value you know a value of gentrification in our communities but also like what is the value of ensuring that everybody from all incomes can be in our city and sort of what impact does that have on residents? And I think that's really illustrated in this uh, first one um, titled, I Get Food from the Food Bank. Great, so let's jump in and play our first story then. 
technically I'm not a first generation student because while I was in high school my dad decided to go get an associate's degree in plumbing <laughs> but uh, you know more or less I, I do fit into that like what you would associate with that and so Valpo the people of Valpo definitely seem to be more middle class or upper middle class than what I'm used to being around I guess there there's some people in one of my English classes that that seem a little bit spoiled and they've they've made a couple of comments very recently that were like uh, they're talking about shopping before class where they go shopping and like some somebody likes going to Macy's and they're like oh what Macy's do you go to and they're like definitely not the one in Maryville Maryville's so ghetto there was a shooting there like two weeks ago I don't go to Maryville that's way too ghetto I'm just like Maryville is not ghetto <laughs> even the city is pretty nice it's not like a place where I would feel in danger walking or, or anything like that and the mall especially you know you have to have money to go shop at that mall like a few minutes after that I think somebody must have said something about going to thrift stores because somebody was like oh I just I just have a thing about wearing other people's clothes and they just kind of shuddered and I I looked down at what I was wearing I was like oh this is from the thrift store and and then there's kind of a contrasting thing which was not an on-campus experience but at the beginning of the semester I rode the bus to campus um a couple times a week just because I I commute and it just felt good to not have to drive you know a couple of times a week if you ride the v-liner like not just the places that go from campus exactly but just around the city like you see kind of people that you didn't realize were living in the city i heard some guy talking on the phone and asking somebody if they needed their laundry done because he had 20 bucks left and he was going to go buy tobacco but if the other guy needed his laundry done he would only buy a little thing of tobacco instead of a big thing so that they could both do their laundry and i was like you know that's the kind of thing i i grew up with and it kind of felt well that's nice to hear in valpo you know <laughs> not that it's good that people are you know don't have enough money but like just to know that there's people like that around and you know the bus I was riding was the one that went by housing opportunities so there would be a lot of people and we'd drive by and on Tuesday mornings people would be waiting in line because that was when they did their food pantry thing and it's like hey I get food from the food bank at home you know my grandpa brings it by once a month or so so that was kind of the moment where I realized wow I feel like I belong around these people sometimes you know and my roommate thought that was really weird when I told her (laughs) she's like so you liked being on the bus with all of the people who don't have money and I was like yeah (laughs) you know they wear kind of crappy clothes and I don't feel like I have to look good when I get on the bus and (laughs) it's kind of cool this is listen up welcome project radio I'm Allison Schutte here with Willa Walsh And today we are talking about uh, one story from the campus archive of the Welcome Project, a Get Food from the Food Bank, and later we'll be pairing that with a TikTok story about gentrification to help us think about who are we including in our cities and neighborhoods. So Willow, as we start to unpack this story just as our first general question what stood out to you in terms of what matters to this storyteller yeah I mean I like that she's sort of thinking about her experience in the classroom and like how she relates to the other people in the classroom and just the sense that I get is she feels sort of separated from them based on you know people are going like shopping at Macy's which is like I don't know when this was recorded but like I cannot what 20 year old shop at Macy's <laughs> some Valpo students Apparently. so I mean no shade but like, yeah 
<laughs> but so, okay, so then, so, like, her classmates are going out, spending a bunch of money, which is, you know, when I was in college, that would have made me mad, too. Like, I don't got no money. <laughs> and then the way that she's sort of experiencing how people talk about Maryville, which is that it's ghetto, and it's like, I don't think Maryville's ghetto. I mean, I think Maryville just is, like, a victim of urban sprawl, that sort of capitalism, non-walkable city sort of thing that makes it just hostile to be in. But I think that's more of the city design than anything. Anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> but just just how she's relating to the people around her, you know, she's just noting all of these these differences between how she grew up and how other people grew up. Yeah, it's also reminding me that I think sometimes in that classroom banter, and this could be also like pre-meeting banter it doesn't have to be a classroom setting Mm -hmm. where people are having these kind of conversations just chit-chatting and you actually don't know who's also hearing that conversation and whether and how they might be responding to things that you're saying so that really stood out to me in terms of thinking about like when we're just even thinking about the the rooms that we're in Mm -hmm. and who's going to feel included or not it might not even be the the main reason that we're pulled together that could be causing exclusion. Like it could actually just be the basic kind of, Hey, how, how are you sort of conversations that inadvertently end up making people feel like, is this a classroom or a meeting space in which I belong? Because Mm -hmm. one of my peers in this case thinks that this particular city and this particular mall is unsafe and dangerous and therefore quote unquote ghetto but like that's not my experience of that city mm-hmm. and like the the comment about like the student who's like thinking about wearing somebody else's clothes from the secondhand store mm-hmm. and then looking down and realizing that's that you're wearing like uh, what <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so it's just really striking i think how it could happen so quickly that you could feel like i wonder if i actually have a place here those are really strong opinions that are coming through and if I were to stand up and say like hey I'm wearing clothes from this from the goodwill like then they're going to have some moral judgment of me or yeah so that's that's pretty striking from this particular story too Mm -hmm. what do you make of her experience on the bus I have always with this particular story been made aware of my own biases around public transportation and which public transportation I think is for me and which isn't. And I don't exactly, well, I I mean, maybe it's not too hard to think about, but I feel like uh, growing up, I accepted an understanding of public buses as like not for middle class, upper class, but for like working class and poor Mm. and that they were spaces themselves that maybe I was well that I was going to feel uncomfortable in and I feel like as an adult I still have some of that like that I'm correcting for like I flew into uh, Midway this past week and needed to take the public bus from the airport to where I'd parked my car in Hyde Park and I remember just feeling like more nervous about that than if it had been the L or something Mm -hmm. Although I have to say, as a Midwesterner who did not grow up needing public transportation, even the L or the subway can make me feel uncomfortable. It took me a while when I lived in New York to to get comfortable with that. And I mean, so maybe there's a number of things going on, right? Because it's about being with strangers. Mm-hmm. 
and it's about you know kind of confined spaces with strangers like when the bus is moving when the the subway car is moving I mean, subway cars, you have a little bit more freedom. You can actually go in between cars, usually, at least the ones I've been on. Um, so you don't always feel like, but I, but I don't know, like you're really like, these are the people you're with until the next stop. And if something were to happen and you like, what would you do kind of thing? Yeah. So as somebody who grew up more or less relying on cars to get around that difference between public and private space is something that I've always had to like kind of lean into to make sure that my biases are being like checked and just be uncomfortable enough to like teach myself a different understanding of those kind of public spaces. So that's like way kind of far afield <laughs> from our storyteller. Well, it's not far afield from our storyteller. Um, it might not be the, the question you were asking for, because how do you hear her th- talking about and reflecting her time on the bus well it sounds like you know she's she's really enjoying it like she just she's like well I don't want to have to drive every day to campus so if the bus comes by my house I'm going to get on and go to school so that makes sense to me and I I like that the sort of like recounting of the conversation that happened on the bus between people like the guy asking like oh did anyone need laundry done if you do you know I'm going to buy less tobacco you know just sort of planning for it and and I don't know I think there's that sort of like I think being poor sort of makes you more communal in that way. Like, I remember, like, when my mom and I were really struggling, it's just, like, you just sort of... There's a little bit of, like, bartering kind of like that. Like, just, I don't know, you're just really considerate of like your 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 core people who are around you like your neighbors or something because it's they really do help you out in a lot of ways and so I, I I like that she's like well yeah this is how people talk in my city and you know that made her feel more connected to Valparaiso yeah and so I just think about like you know the people on the bus making her feel a sense of belonging the speaker a sense of belonging and so like you know if these people weren't on the bus and replaced with you know middle white class people who like business suit and tie yeah, yeah or right business attire. right it's like you know what are we losing yeah you know so then that means anybody like the speaker who comes to valpo or you know maybe comes here for a job they're in the city and they're not seeing other people like them and it just it hinders your sense of welcome to the city and your sense of belonging because there's nobody like you. And so you get a pretty clear message that, oh, there's nobody like me here. I don't belong here. This city doesn't want me here. I'm going to leave. And so that's how you sort of, I don't know, it's just like then you're not creating like a a city with a, with a varied amount of experiences right. from people. You're just honing in on the, you know, the people who can make the most and afford to live here. And I think, you know, we can tell from this storyteller that we're losing a lot from that. Yeah, a lot of sense of, of how to help somebody out in like a, just a very daily level mm-hmm. on like a matter of laundry. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting your perspective on public transportation, like how where you grew up, like formed your understanding of it. For me, it's so different because growing up here like specifically in northwest indiana we have the south shore line and so my only experience is like okay yeah being in my parents car or going to the south shore line and going to chicago which there's a very specific demographic of people i would say that ride the south shore line it is like maybe more like business casual type people because it's more expensive it's maybe a bigger commute that sort of thing maybe so it's like my experience of people who rode public transportation 
was really different and how like my brain thought of it or like I always saw it like contextualized in cities and things and it wasn't until like your class I think that like that made me right yeah like you had an assignment where the students had to go out and ride the v-line and then reflect on that experience and it wasn't until really I think that that I like it kind of clicked for me because like I don't know, I just wasn't thinking about people on the bus like that before because I used to ride the bus when I was in high school because that gave me the most sense of independence that I personally could look up the bus schedule and walk to it and then take myself to JCPenney or something. (laughs) And so, like, I don't know. So that was so interesting to sort of grapple with that when in your class to think about, like, oh, yeah, like, who is in this space? Like, who needs this? And I think it would even be interesting to have a conversation about, like, I don't know, like, why the buses were originally created, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the initial intention of creating the V-Line was for college students to get around. I honestly don't know. We would have to look into that, because I I know it was definitely part of the package of how it was advertised, Mm -hmm. like it was going to be a perk for college students. But I think it could have been actually the city trying to provide for residents who don't have their own transportation means, but we'd have to go back into like whatever city council meeting that was yeah. and, and, and in order to find out. It is, it does seem to me like one tangible way in which uh, the mayor's office or city council, I'm not sure who the purview of this V-line is under, is trying to recognize and serve a wider range of its residents than it typically does. Like when I think about housing, for example, mm-hmm. and which housing efforts are supported by the city, I it's just so rare that I see or hear how the city is really partnering with housing opportunities or um, project neighbors in order to make sure that we have affordable housing. But with the but the V-Line, that seems like a place where the city has committed in some way to residents who need extra help with transportation because they can't mm-hmm. afford a car. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always stood out to me. Like Because the other public bus that we have is the um, Dash. That's just mm-hmm. really for commuters. So that's about serving people who have probably high-paying jobs if you're actually commuting back and forth between Chicago And so it's a contrast, the dash between the dash and the V-line. But the V-line is something that's still active and supported. So I actually, I appreciate that. Uh, You're listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh. This is WVLP um, 103.1 FM and also streaming online at WVLP.org. Today, Willow and I are without our co-host, Reagan Skaggs, who is currently in support and unionizing, uh, organizing unionizing efforts for Starbucks over there on Laporte. Um, there is a sip-in that is actually actively happening right now over there. So until 2 p.m., you can go and support the workers who are trying to unionize that local Starbucks. So we're wishing you well, Reagan, and we miss having you here in this conversation. Um, I feel like there's overlap in these areas of concern as we're thinking about this storyteller who's talking about coming out of a working class or working poor background where um, one of her examples at least is that she can't afford shopping at um, the mall in Maryville and that she and her family take advantage of um, food banks. So is there some part of that aspect of the story? We haven't really touched on that yet that stood out to you. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of thinking about the end of the story there where she does recount like her grandpa goes to the food bank and brings it home like once a month. Um, and she's thinking about that in contrast with uh, seeing housing opportunities while she's on the bus, uh, riding on the bus. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just sort of, I was more stuck on the, the last part where her roommate is like, so you like yeah. being on the bus yeah, with all yeah. the people who don't have money? And the speaker was like, yeah, like <laughs> they wear kind of crappy clothes and I feel like I don't have to look good when I get on the bus and it's kind of cool. And I don't know, I kind of like that sentiment because I think it says a lot. Like there's, I don't know, there's sort of, there's like a sense of like, I don't know, just based on how she's just describing the clothes, like there's like, she doesn't have to be anybody but herself when she's on the bus. And it sounds like, you know, in other spaces, it's not on the bus. She has to sort of, I don't know, not be herself or, or not be in conscious places. of sticking out in some, some way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't know. It's just like, you can see what a, what a value add the bus is for her. Yeah, I think it's really, I mean, we're, we don't have the voice of the, the roommate, so we're hearing it reflected through the storyteller. But it makes me think, or it makes me become aware, maybe because I feel like that roommate's bias is like the bias that I had mm-hmm. like growing up. Because it's being told by this storyteller who in fact feels comfortable on the bus, and actually senses connection and community with other people who maybe don't have a lot of money or having a hard time finding um, enough money to like do things like laundry, that you start to actually see that there's, um, behind the bias, there's also like a moral judgment that the roommate mm-hmm. has, that if, if you, cause she's surprised that the storyteller likes being on the bus with all the people who don't have money, which makes me think that that roommate has ideas about the people who don't have money. And I think that there's a moral judgment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. behind that. Like, whether it's that they would be, I don't know, like, scary or dangerous or, or something like that. And so it's a surprising way to kind of get underneath bias to see what's fueling that and I'm guessing that their roommate would feel very uncomfortable in that situation and I wonder how long it would take the roommate to feel differently Mm -hmm. and if the roommate was on the bus with the storyteller would that matter like would that help Mm -hmm. that could the storyteller be the ambassador (laughs) I very much remember having this story in mind when I assigned the in the Who's My Neighbor class assigned the Ride the V-Line as homework because I, I wanted to challenge myself and I wanted to challenge us in the class to really recognize, well, especially for students, if you, you're a little bit different, Willow, because you're a resident of Valparaiso, grew up in the region, and that maybe was true of some of the other students in the class, but a lot of students in that class, um, for them, Valpo is campus. And so you don't even realize, like, maybe you've gone downtown and so maybe you've seen city residents as a part of like the downtown experience but like like Valparaiso itself as a city does have a wide variety of neighborhoods it has a a wide variety of like shopping plazas like you can compare and contrast you know the Target um, Menards uh, Meyer to um, 
what used to be Kmart, it's, Kmart's not there anymore, but like the Strachan Von Till that's kind of north on Calumet. Like it's a very different sort of mm-hmm. feel, although I suppose I think like they're trying to, it feels to me like the city is trying to make that North Calumet sort of mirror the suburban feel yeah. of um, what's happening over on Laporte. Um, so that difference is starting to go away a little bit. But um, yeah, it's pretty interesting that the bus route could be a way of seeing um, parts of a city that you just don't think about if you've never expanded. Kind of, I remember being surprised at how many apartment buildings there are in Valpo, for instance, because I my neighborhood downtown Banta is all residential. Actually, that's not true. I mean, there are some apartment buildings in Banta as well, but they're all small scale to like mm-hmm. to kind of suit the residential feel minus the new like condos townhouses that have gone up on um (laughs) jefferson street which are actually large and don't look like homes um i'm going to okay i'm going to do a thing that we never get to do which is that i will be more generous with the roommates take on this okay i wonder okay so there's something about how comfortable the speaker feels on the bus and then the roommate says so you liked being on the bus with the people who don't have money and i think it's like you know, it makes sense for the speaker because that's how she grew up and that's sort of like there's a comfort there and, an, and a mutual understanding of sort of how the community operates and how residents sort of interact. And I think it's sort of interesting that we can sort of see from the roommate that there isn't that level of comfort or separation. And I think that goes back to sort of the moral judgment aspect that you were talking about. But there is sort of like a like the roommate is surprised because the room because the speaker is feels comfortable and i think that's something interesting too to just sort of note that there is sort of a discomfort if you're Mm. if you didn't grow up like riding the bus with people or you grew up assuming that like only certain kind of people ride the bus like it's it's going to be it's going to be more difficult for you to sort of push past that boundary and so i think that's something really interesting to note too because Based on, you know, the roommate's, I, I assume, level of power and privilege that she has here. You know, we don't know. I assume she's a white person. I assume she has a little bit more money. You know, that she, there's nothing f- forcing her to be uncomfortable. Like, she'll never have to take the bus. Pro- we hope. Probably not, you know? Like, she'll never be forced to sort of grapple with that discomfort of, of talking and being with other people that she hasn't grown up with. And so I think that's something to think about too. Like when we feel, when we know, when we feel uncomfortable or we're shocked that other people don't feel uncomfortable, you know, like do we take a moment of pause and think like, you know, A, am I making a moral judgment about these people? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Am I going to do something about that or just sort of stay away from the people that I feel uncomfortable about. You know, there's a certain level of privilege that allows you to do that. And so I think it's just important to note that, like, you know, if you acknowledge that you have some sort of privilege, like, well, I don't have to ride the bus, so I'm not going to investigate the residents that use it every day or, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know. I'm just thinking about, like, there are so many stereotypes and things that we have about people or othering that we do but if we don't 
have to interact with them, then then we don't have to grow. You know, we can just stay mm-hmm. uncomfortable and stay away and stay with the people who make us feel comfortable. And so I guess I would sort of challenge people like when you're feeling uncomfortable or you have that sense of discomfort, even if you don't have to take the <laughs> investigate bus, like, it. Yeah, yeah, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just like challenge yourself to to sort of branch out a little bit, even if you don't have to. Yeah, I think the um, cool thing in the story is that these two are roommates, and I, mm. I, I think either I'm bringing outside information I have about who the storyteller is and when I interviewed her in terms of her time on Valpo's campus, so she would have been at least a junior, if not a senior. So by that point, you're choosing your roommates. It's not just somebody mm. you were thrown together mm. with. So. Either I'm bringing that knowledge in or something about the way that the storyteller shares that the roommate was willing to... Because, I mean, the roommate's exposing herself to right. the storyteller mm-hmm. by being like, so you liked being on the bus? Because like, I, I would guess that to some level, the roommate understands like there is some kind of moral judgment I have here because that's why I have to, I'm feeling compelled to ask this question. So the fact that they have enough connection to each other and care for each mm-hmm. other that they can mm-hmm. actually, like, can we talk about this out loud? Yes, we're talking about this yeah. out loud. Whereas, like, in the classroom, the storyteller does not have the experience of mm-hmm. talking about this out loud, right? Mm-hmm. So the um, the students who have the the description understanding of Maraville as a ghetto like this is not being said in a kind of cautious exploratory way it's being said as a statement and so there isn't room for that kind of like ability to learn and grow like you're saying um so I think I mean I when do we get when do we get to have roommates like this and like what would the analogies be outside of college where do we bump into people that we then form connections with who can teach us to start seeing like areas that we might be operating out of bias assumption and like we don't even know because Mm -hmm. there's nobody um that's different enough from us this is WVLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. So please consider supporting this station by visiting the website WVLP.org support. Donations are tax deductible, and we here at The Welcome Project would sure appreciate it. So today on Listen Up, um, you're here with me, Allison Schutte and Willa Walsh, while Reagan Skaggs is organizing the union effort at the local Starbucks over on Laporte. There's a sip-in that's going on until 2 p.m. today, so if you want to go support the, the workers in their unionizing efforts, Go grab a small coffee, leave a tip for the workers, and hang out with the, the organizers as they um, try to bring attention to, to their cause. Do you want to move to the 
TikTok then. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so give the little spiel background uh, yeah. who, who this comes from so listeners know if they're just tuning in. Yeah, so this is this was published on TikTok on June 29th, 2022. This is by Jack Corbett, who is a video producer for NPR, and it's under the profile at Planet Money, and it's titled, There are only so many houses, and that is someone's fault. Hashtag gentrification, hashtag rent, hashtag housing, hashtag economics, hashtag learn on TikTok. Good morning. Hey, you ever notice this coffee shop is causing all this gentrification? You sure that's really the cause? Americana. Order up. Wait, no, it, it came after those hipsters showed up. Did you hear the new Animal Collective album? It's really a good song. I love it. It's them. Are you sure? Well, they came here after the bike lanes showed up. That's the cause. You're, po- you're positive. Wait, they came to connect those new condos and spruced up brownstones. It's the land developers. Wait, those came after those high paying tech jobs randomly came here. Oh wait, random? No. The city gave them tax breaks to come here. They incentivized house flipping and they set up that subway stop here. Yeah, everyone you mentioned, they're capitalizing on gentrification, but it's not the root cause. It was decided by the local government. What they chose not to do was to protect original residents. Why are they prioritizing gentrification? It brings in jobs and tax revenues so they can pay for stuff like roads, subways, and schools. Th- that sounds good. It's a- Uh, My rent just went up. That is technically what gentrification is. A neighborhood going from low to high value. It causes displacement. When existing residents, who are often black or Hispanic, have to move because richer people show up and want to pay more for the same land. So the investment doesn't help the original residents. Can a neighborhood get invested in without displacement? Yes, if the government chooses to act on eviction prevention or add new subsidized housing, or a vacancy tax, which makes those empty lots you see over there suddenly expensive to keep empty. It incentivizes building on those lots, creating more housing for the neighborhood, rather than just waiting for the price to go up. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, with me, Allison Schutte, and Willow Walsh. And we are talking today about... Well, this most recent story from TikTok has to do with gentrification, and it's, it's helping us think about and reflect on our first storyteller from the Welcome Project who has her own experience coming out of like being a first generation college student in terms of income level. Uh, Her family were people that relied on like food banks and so needed help sometimes getting through with the day to day. So in some ways thinking about that storyteller would be a, a resident of a city that might during gentrification um, be be getting the boot because they can no longer afford staying there. So this is our first time using a TikTok, and we might, in fact, be playing the audio again because um, it's a little bit faster paced, I would say, mm-hmm. than many of our own storytellers are. What's the, the first thing that like drew your attention and the journalist perspective on on what gentrification is and why it happens yeah so um it sounds like based on what he said so gentrification is something that is sort of i don't know it sort of happens when an area gets really invested in and new folks show up and there's new housing being built and new jobs available but it's when the all of that sort of 
comes to a neighborhood and displaces original residents. So essentially, there's so many more amenities coming and there's so many more people coming, it's making it so much more expensive that the people who were originally there can no longer be there. And so they lose their neighborhood to all of these incoming people. Yeah, it feels to me like the ongoing tragedy of, of gentrification is that like investment is good. Mm-hmm. Like the it's not just the housing because that's where like a lot of the problematic stuff starts to happen with raising rising costs, right? But it's also services, so like road improvement and probably like um, like garbage and um, recycling that kind of thing, investment in sidewalks, mm-hmm. so it becomes a better place to live. But as that investment is not keeping in mind the original residents, mm-hmm. then it only serves uh, a different group of people who move in and push out the original residents. So mm-hmm. it's, again, I, I, I use the word tragedy because I feel like everybody wants better services. Um, everybody would like better housing, but not everybody gets to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Did you um, did you catch like at the beginning some of the reasons why people typically or typically give for who's causing yeah, yeah. gentrification? Yeah. So okay. So in the TikTok um, in the beginning, he's talking about all right. He's like, hey, did you notice like you know that the that coffee shop popping up? I think it's because of that. And then the guy asks, are you sure? And he said, no, 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 it's, it's the hipsters. That's, they showed up. That's when it started to happen. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, well, no, I guess those came after the bike lanes that happened and the new subway stop. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, well, those came to connect the spruced up brownstones who came here because of the higher paying tax. So there's like, and this is kind of interesting because it's like, it's sort of trying to identify like what the root cause of gentrification is. And I think that's, I really liked his approach because I think it's so indicative of like how we as a people might sort of call out gentrification. Like it's so hard to see like where it is or what it means or like how how, how can we tell it's happening? Um, and so we just point to all of these things like, well, it's all these people coming in and it's sort of their fault. And I don't know, this is sort of like, I feel like when I talk to conservative family members of mine, like when I talk to them about gentrification, the sort of the narrative that I'll hear back is like, well, you libs just don't want to see the city get better. You just want to see it trash so it'll stay affordable or whatever. And like, you don't want things to get better. You don't want better roads or, and it's like, no, I, <laughs> that couldn't be further from the truth. It's, it's like, you know, something that Valpo is doing right now that's just full speed ahead with all of these, uh, I'll say it, ugly condos that are downtown (laughs) in these traditionally lower income neighborhoods. So we need to think about that. Like in College Hill, in Banta, in Central Neighborhood, those are traditionally neighborhoods in which people have been able to afford rent and it feels like Valparaiso is specifically targeting those areas for higher income developments. And you might say like, well, that's just a downtown area. Well, sure. But also you can't ignore the fact is that's where people can afford to live. That's where I live. That's the only freaking place I can afford to live in this city. So 
the the one thing that we need to keep in mind as we're building these, you know, horrible condos that are going to be abandoned in 40 years or something, you know, just given how Valparaiso is going to go, if we don't make room to have everybody in the community be here, we're just... It's not just, I believe, it's not just from the first storyteller, what we're losing is giving all residents a sense of belonging, but we're, it's destroying the city, I think, because you're, you're putting it on such a rocky, unstable foundation of only allowing business professionals to be here. And that means all of your service workers in the next 10 years are not going to be able to afford to live here. That means every single person that's going to be at a Starbucks, at a Target, at a Kohl's, at the grocery store, unless you're a teenage child living at home with your parents, you're not going to be able to afford to live in this city. And so is that really the space that we want to go down? I don't know. That's just sort of the question that I pose. But okay, I'm getting on my soapbox. I'll let you jump in. (laughs) Well, I think the, the part from the TikTok that is harder to see. So like as they're naming kind of initially at the beginning, like who's, who's responsible for bringing gentrification here? It's those hipsters who like their special coffee and who cycle in their fancy spandex. Um, but actually that's the visible part uh, that's an out, that's a, a, an outcome of investment that the city is doing. Right. So trying to get back to looking at who is the city investing in and in the TikTok they seem to think you can actually improve neighborhoods and services without gentrifying as long as that investment by the city or whatever governing body there is is um, making sure that that investment is spread out not just for those who have like high paying incomes, but also for those who are already here working in the service industry. So I didn't get all of the the ways and means they talked about something. There was a vacancy tax that they talked about. Mm-hmm. There's like investing in affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And and I know that I've, I don't think this was in the TikTok in particular, but I've heard people talking about making sure there's mixed income housing in neighborhoods as mm-hmm. opposed to like the kind of segregation that's pretty typical where you'll make sure that if you have affordable housing or Section 8 housing, uh, like supported housing vouchers, that it's all in like certain pockets mm-hmm. of the city which um, means that services stay in one area and don't go to another. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of continues a little bit of the siloed or parallel worlds that like we kind of heard between the first storyteller and her roommate, right? Like they have these very different experiences coming up out of segregated class neighborhoods. So I, I don't know how to you know, talk to cities and city governments where they're um, looking at what I I would say is like a short-term gain. Yes, like if you give tax abatements to developers so that they bring in the money to build these super duplexes that will attract the high-paying um, jobs of folks who don't want to live in Chicago and are willing to commute like that is bringing in a, a certain kind of investment into the city tax base 
um, how long will that last? I mean, mm-hmm. you projected 40 years. I don't know. <laughs> like, is that like a, something that you're coming to through study and data? Or is that just a conjecture at this point? It's, it's a little bit of a conjecture, but it's sort of an informed conjecture because we think about Gary, Indiana, yeah. and how that was heavily invested in until, you know, there was enough black people that white people decided to flee. We need to remember that white flight is going to continue to happen unless we literally deal with it. Like, so, you know, Maryville was sort of the pipeline that drained a lot of white people out of Gary. And like we started with the mall, and so all of the businesses had left Gary along with the white people that could afford to leave. And so that was the first wave of white flight. Now I'm seeing Maryville get a lot more demographically diverse, and I feel like that is also coming with another wave of white flight. And I want to ask Valparaiso why the heck they think they are immune to white flight. Why do you, Maryville was a sort of white mecca in the 70s. Why do you not think that Valparaiso, as it's sort of being projected, a white mecca? Because look at downtown and how expensive everything is. Look at the demographics of our schools. Why did why do people in power in Valparaiso not think that we're going to be Maryville in 20 years? Mm-hmm. You keep overdeveloping, keep commercializing, you know, as we talked about in the first story, you know, somebody some the roommate had called Maryville ghetto, but you know, I sort of challenged that. Maryville is just hostile <laughs> to people. You know, it's commercialism is top priority. And so if we have all of these really big expensive condos and housing downtown, you know, three hundred thousand dollar two bedroom apartments, I I struggle to see how this is gonna be kept up. You know, something that Gary struggles with is they have the infrastructure for like over a hundred thousand people Yet the city right now is like just over 80,000 people. And so they do not have the tax base to keep up with all of the development that was there. And so as Valparaiso continues to develop and develop and develop, you know, in 40 years when all the white people leave because it's gotten too demographically diverse, there's not going to be enough of a tax base to keep up with all of these buildings. There's not going to, you know, it's just we need to think smart. It just seems so obvious to me that we just literally look 20 minutes west and it keeps coming east, white flight. Why do you think that it's not gonna happen to us? So I really do, you know, it's like, when did uh, Gary, it's, I feel like Gary's, it was like really big, a lot of the influx of flight happened in like the 40s, right? I mean, in terms of like the major white flight? No, sorry, um, like the influx of like migrants to Gary. Oh, I see. Yeah, that would have been a, like a kind of second wave um, after like the founding of the city would have been the first wave, right? And then, yes, um, kind of post-World War II would have been another migration. So Gary had 30 years from its second biggest migration In before of, yeah, white flight happened. Yeah, yeah. And so... You know, and then, okay, so then Maryville is sort of the same thing. It started filling up with white people in the 70s, and now in the 2000s, 2010s, it's getting more demographically diverse, and we see a lot of white people leaving Maryville. So, again, I ask people of Valparaiso, Valparaiso, why in the world do you think it's not going to happen here? Yeah, that's interesting, because part of Gary's story is like the dependence on a single industry, the steel mill, Mm -hmm. which then... um, you know, this is in, in addition to white flight. They're not necessarily the same cause. But when you lose the number of jobs that you had in the steel mill, 
um, then there's like people have to leave to find work elsewhere. And so I guess like a, a parallel question would be is in the city of Valparaiso, we don't necessarily, in, in terms of gentrification, we're not looking at a single industry that's being over relied on like the steel industry, but are we looking at a single investment strategy that's being over relied on and that when that empties out, like, cause everything has life cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- who will be here in the city, staying in the city to like keep it functioning in a full way. Um, if that investment strategy is like dried up because mm-hmm. investors have moved on. Mm-hmm. I mean, investors have to move on. They need places to invest in. And mm-hmm. like at some point you've maxed out. Yeah. You bought up all the land downtown <laughs> and developed it. There it is. <laughs> so yeah. What else in terms of bringing in the TikTok were you wanting to bring forward or like, how did you want our listeners hearing that to be informed in a new way or or to connect to the previous story in ways that I don't know have we finished that conversation because you were interested in that storyteller as an example to you of someone that we need to have in our city both for her experience that she brings to bear and also for recognizing that she can't be alone like that we need to have communities of people with a variety of different experiences so that like there's overlapping sense of inclusion that then collectively would allow a bigger tapestry of folks to be here. Mm-hmm. I So I brought it up because what I really like about this TikTok is that Jack brings up a really interesting point, which is something that I think we feel further and further away from just today, how our political climate is, is that, I mean, especially even like me, like, you know, I'm pretty far left. And so I get a specific algorithm of TikToks that I get shown. And so I, you know, I see a lot of refrain from folks in my, you know, algorithmic sphere talking about, you know, a lot of anti-capitalist sentiment, like hardcore. That is where Gen Z is at very anti-capitalist leftists and so it's like and so I I think we tend to think of these issues on like a really bigger scope like of course capitalism sucks (laughs) but like I think it feels so national you know our politics are so national scoping you know with like the presidency and you know we think of capitalism as so nationally over us that it feels like such a hard sort of thing to thing to go up against mm-hmm. and sort of take down but what i think is really important to note is that the, our local government has an extremely high amount of power mm. to help us out and this is not something that is out of our willpower this is something that 2000 people in this city could make a difference we could literally get better with a couple thousand people, like just more voters. Like that's how important this is because our local government has the ability to alter zoning variances. We could have mixed use housing. We could have coffee shops in our residential neighborhoods and services. We could have more mixed use development. We could get on the forefront of urban planning and thinking more about how do we I don't know, this isn't a word, but neighborize our communities. Yeah, like, <laughs> I love that. Yes. You know, neighborize. And it's like, and I think that, you know, on the whole, we truly, and I say we, I mean, I'm thinking more of like Gen Z-ish, but like, you know, you don't understand like how much power these few people have 
in our lives and our local government's ability to sort of make these decisions. You know, and so I like that he brings up some solutions like um, eviction prevention, uh, subsidized housing that like, you know, regulated subsidized housing that's mixed into development and a vacancy tax on empty lots. So essentially a developer is going to get charged for not having something built there. So there are things that we could do. You know, these this land is already owned by somebody else. They could... The government has, while we don't own that land, from my understanding, the, the city government doesn't own a lot of like Valpo land and it uh-huh. is already pre-purchased by developers, but there is a lot of power in terms of how we can shape what gets built here and who it's built for. And I just don't understand why we're uninterested in doing that. It seems like a very easy fix. When you say we uninterested in doing that, are you talking about Valparaiso residents who aren't who aren't voting differently than they are, who or who aren't voting at all? Are you thinking about the city? Oh, I'm, I guess I'm saying we, as in the city government, okay. is not interested in doing that for whatever reason. Even though it's, it seems like a very simple fix, how do you make everybody happy? You can have your dumb brownstones or whatever they're doing with those condos, and in addition, you can have some subsidized housing so people can just live here. It's so simple. You know what? In one of our next shows, I'm going to bring a budget. <laughs> like, I think we should do that. I think we should get some budgets going. That way all the conservatives are like, bleh, bleh, you can't afford... Bleh, bleh. No, 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 no. You're going to see how much money I make and all the things I have to spend it on. And you tell me how in the world I afford to live in Valparaiso. I think that'd be a fun show. What if they don't want you to live in Valparaiso, Willow? I'm here. I don't want you to live in Valparaiso. I was born here. <laughs> Yeah, like, who has a right to a place? I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. And and why is it about who can afford a place Mm -hmm. as opposed to who's here? Yeah, like, why can't you just provide what people need? I don't understand why that's even a question. I mean, greed, (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think that we're a little constrained without somebody else here in the room with us to kind of help us think about other ways of seeing it because I feel like I don't understand either why you wouldn't invest in communities that support a broad range of people economically Um, I mean one of the things I love about living in Banta is the diversity of economic class that's Mm -hmm in that neighborhood as well as age um like in terms of like there are some people who've lived there forever and so they're in their 70s and 80s there's like new families with little kids um there are uh, like service workers there are university staff professors um so all kinds of diversity i mean racially it's still banta is still predominantly white but we have some racial diversity and ethnic diversity too And I think um, even though sometimes I feel that my own upbringing as a middle class person has um, produced its own conditioning, like I was talking about city transportation, it also has made me feel comfortable in a certain kind of class neighborhood. Like I go into some of the subdivisions that have been built for people who have incomes of $200,000 or more. And I just, I feel really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. if I have a friend who lives there and has like, is uh, like when Liz was running for city council um, and I'm 
in a house, like for an event that has to do with the campaign. Like I've felt very odd and out of place in those neighborhoods. Um, so I, I like want places like Banta because that's also where I feel comfortable mm-hmm. based on my own class conditioning, even um, as privileged as it as it was and is. It's also more walkable. It's not all these cookie cutter, same size houses. It's not so far away. You know, another thing we don't talk enough about is how like essentially you and I are subsidizing those $200,000 houses in terms of getting the utilities all the way out there. If you want to have a house, you know, in your urban sprawl all the way over in Timbuktu, you should be paying like a million bucks to have that water line all the way out there. You, you, you're the one who doesn't want to live downtown, not me. I can't afford it. You should be paying twice as much for your house to get all those utilities out there. Well, I think we're also subsidizing the big brownstones and townhomes that are going up in don't tell me that don't Don't tell me that because of the tax tax abatements that the developers get so yeah i mean it's such poor choices (laughs) it is interesting because i often hear conservative republicans complaining about you know services that are provided as safety nets for for people who struggle Mm -hmm. to make ends meet and it's like, well, you have to really look at that there are um, services provided for people who have lots of means. Yeah, rich people safety keep, nets. Those are yeah. okay, apparently. So it's a little confusing on that end, um, for sure. Like, who deserves, like, special privileges? Okay. So that's it for today. Oh, uh, before we head out, we always like to encourage people to check out the full WVLP schedule at WVLP.org. And we like to recommend Morning Black, which airs every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and can be heard again Thursdays at 2 and Fridays at 9. Morning Black stands for Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge, and it focuses on concerns and issues that impact underrepresented communities of color, especially here in Northwest Indiana. So tune in and check them out on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. So yeah, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marachna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.elpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support. 